The Veterans Report is sponsored by James Cannon. Welcome to the Veterans Report, the region's only show dedicated to those who have served our country. We have the latest news and information on resources available to veterans, including health care, education, employment tips, local volunteer organizations, and more. To those who have served, those who are serving, and to those who will, we salute you. And now, the host of the Veterans Report, Jim Cannon. And welcome back to the Veterans Report. Thanks for joining us today through the wonders of technology. You're going to get to hear me uh, sort of doing a remote feed and then go back to the studio. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things you got to learn to be flexible, right? Improvise, overcome, adapt. That's what we're all about in the military. So, uh, so hang in there. It's going to be a little loosey-goosey first half of the show here. Um, so, and we can thank, we can thank uh, the State Department of Transportation for that. You know, I appreciate, I appreciate infrastructure. I appreciate my tax money actually being used wisely because the new portions of the highway were wonderful to drive on, really. It's the portions they're still working on that caused uh, some problems today. But um, so I, I guess it's, you know, uh, six in one hand, half a dozen in the other. Uh, no taxpayers are ever happy. I'm never happy. But, uh, hey, at least they're fixing the roads. So, so um, what were we going to – oh, so today, uh, at the halfway mark, I want to let you all know our – oh, wait, before we get into that, before we get into that, uh, I do want to say hello to our partners at WTF Nation Radio. Uh, if you have not stopped by their magical website, please do it. They have content all week, and it's fun. It's interactive. Uh, you can jump on all kinds of different social media platforms, jump on Facebook and, and Twitter and Instagram, Periscope and Mixer and uh, pretty much anything else that's out there and, and interact with folks. And it's, it's a lot of fun. It really is. So check out their website, you know, grab the social media links, jump on there during the week. There's something of every flavor, uh, every interest, every style. So, um, so we want to thank those folks. They've been great partners for the last, oh, my God, it's been, it's been a long time, hasn't it? It's been almost a year, right? We're coming up on a year. That's crazy. But, um, and, you know, I think between us and the WTF folks, we've managed to bring some, some pretty awesome guests, um, you know, to our respective platforms. And it's, it's been fun working with them. Uh, I get to meet a couple of the folks that I've never met uh, next week, next Thursday. Uh, there's a celebrity softball game, the Red River Celebrity Softball Game in Frisco, Texas. And so it's going to be... Uh, it, Basically, you know, it, it was uh, a, an effort that started as a as a softball game to benefit uh, some veterans' causes, and they had, um, you know, they brought in some celebrities. There's a guy named uh, Tim TK. Uh, as a matter of fact, WTF Nations had him on there, uh, Tim Clune, and uh, TK has worked with a lot of pro athletes and a lot of celebrities, and asked them to participate in this this effort, the softball game. Um, in the first round, it it Benefited all these uh, these different vets charities. Had Marcus Luttrell there, Matthew McConaughey, Toby Keith, Roger Clemens, uh, a bunch of NFL guys. So most of those folks are coming back this year, and that's going to be again that's coming up this Thursday. So good stuff. If you are in the area, I know they still have uh, a handful of tickets left. You can still grab them. Uh, I'm not sure about necessarily meeting uh, any of the celebrities or all of them. 
I'm sure you, I'm sure you'll, you know, there's going to be an opportunity to at least get down there and say hi to them. But, um, you know, it's a smaller ballpark, so it should be fun. The celebrity thing. So again, that's this Thursday down in Frisco at the Dr. Pepper uh, ballpark. So I'm headed down there. Some of the WTF people are headed down there. So it's, uh, it's going to be a good time. Uh, also, <laughs> I do want to say uh, our guest coming up at the halfway mark um, is a buddy of ours, Tom Lucan. And Tom hosts a, uh, a radio show of his own online on WLMR called None Other Than The Veterans Show. And uh, Tom's going to come on. He's going to talk about his history, his many, many years that he spent in the Korean DMZ. Um, as Tom describes it, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's happened in the DMZ over the, over the decades that has not gotten reported. It hasn't made it to the news. And uh, he's going to walk through some of those details, some of that information, um, the things that didn't really make the history books. It's going to be an interesting topic. You know, Tom is a great guy, really knowledgeable. And like I said, he spent many years over there, both with the Army and as a contractor. Um, and so he's, he's got a lot to talk about. He's got a lot to tell. So hang in there and wait for that. Again, that's at the, uh, it's right around 530 uh, Eastern time. And then... Um, what else? Oh, so if you're listening, the news, the information, the topics, all the stuff we cover is available on the website, theveteransreport.com. And you can also grab it on our social media links. I had some, uh, I, had to, I had to tackle some technical issues this week. Um, we were, we were looking into podcasts and we've got that all lined up, right? So that's on, that's on, uh, you know, iTunes and Google play and Stitcher, right? So all the episodes, all these shows are now available in podcast format on all those sites. You just go in and type in the Veterans Report and it'll pop up. And if you visit our website, theveteransreport.com, you can grab news. You can also listen to the sound files there. Um, probably leaving some stuff out, but, but Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, we're on all of those. So if you want information, if you're looking for veteran resources, that's on the website. And if you want to just get in touch with us, drop, drop us a line and, and on any one of those formats or uh, Twitter direct message works. Uh, Facebook direct message works. So, uh, to jump in the mix. Hey, guess what, everyone? Guess what I've done? I've managed to make it through traffic. So we are going to take, <laughs> we're going to take a quick break. And, um, when we come back, we'll dive into some news and then we'll head toward the halfway mark and, uh, and with our guest, Tom Lucan. So if you hang in there, uh, we'll be back shortly. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theveteransreport. There, like the website, you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. For you high-speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at the Vets Report. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at theveteransreport.com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening, and thank you for supporting our veterans community.
All right, and we're back. How was that, huh? You talk about a smooth transition. That's because we work with the best guy in radio. <laughs> and um, so, all right, so thank you for your patience, and uh, we appreciate you hanging in there and, and sort of riding a, riding a wave with us. Um, so as I mentioned, uh, we're uh, – oh, half at uh, the half-hour mark, we have Tom Lucan. Um, he'll be our guest. And um, feel free, while we're talking about news, uh, if you have comments, send them our way, or questions, send them our way. Uh, and we're happy to answer them on the air, address them on the air. We did this last week, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, it was really – you know, the, I like the interactive part of it, right? Um it's just nice to know that it's it's out there. It's a uh, it's a vibrant sort of living thing. So it's pretty cool. Um, oh, one other thing. A uh, oh man, I said one other thing and then I lost the link. There was an organization that reached out uh, this week. I'll see if I can find it. Uh, again, bear with me. Oh, called drug. It's a uh, it's a website called drugrehab.com drugrehab.com and they said you know they sent some information said hey you know we have a we have a page we have some information specific to veterans and it has to do with substance abuse uh in the military alcohol uh alcohol consumption illicit drugs uh what they are what they do uh and it delves into uh pain management it's got a lot of stats on the site too so, uh, and then drug use after the military. Obviously, that's been a big issue with opioids, you know, affecting the, the uh, military and veteran community. So, they asked if we could put a, uh, a link on the website. So, there is a link on the veteransreport.com website to the, to the uh, specific, the veteran-specific page. And so, if, you, if you're looking for information on drug use, drug abuse, uh, you know, addiction statistics. They have one on incarcerated. They have a section on incarcerated vets. Um, treatment, treatment options, VA assistance, uh, counseling and therapy. It's it's a pretty replete website. So I would ask that you at least go check it out. There may or may not be information of use to you there, but please go check it out. Again, there's a link on the website under veteran resources, or you can just go to drug rehab. Dot com. Uh, well, I say it, no, drugrehab.com, I guess it would be, oh, it's slash addiction slash veterans. But again, if you can't remember that, go to the veteransreport.com. It's on the veteran resources page. And we thank them for sending that. That's the kind of information we need. That's the kind of information we want to post and deliver on this show to vets everywhere. I don't know if you saw this. Uh, where are we here? Oh, another story that just came out. And I was surprised. This is the only place that I saw. This is the only place that covered it. CBS 4 in Minnesota. And by the way, uh, CBS 4, your website is uh, lame because it takes forever to load and it keeps reloading and it gets hung up because you guys are trying to get too crazy with all the videos and the images. So... Tone it down. Tone it down. But CBS4 in Minnesota had a story on the VA Center. I'm sorry, VA Center created to help veterans exposed to burn pits. And I'm not going to read the whole story because it was basically a video report. But 
uh, a mom whose daughter had been in Iraq and uh, got, oh, was it pancre- pancreatic cancer? It, she ended up passing away, this, this young lady. And her mother um, rallied and got politicians involved and all this other stuff and managed to get the VA to create uh, a specific center that focuses on the burn pit, the burn pit exposure issue, which, you know, we've talked about it here, uh, and I have offline, I've talked to the legal team that's handling that class action suit that is still meandering through the halls of justice. And it's it's a heartbreaking story because on the one hand, you know, you look at what the military did overseas. I mean, I was there. You know, a lot of people I know were there. And, and you look at it and you go, okay, you know, we're, we were doing – Ostensibly, you know, it was a it was a, a positive thing, right? A good thing. Um, if if you look at it not from the political angle, if you look at it from a humanitarian angle, right? Or if you look at it from a I don't know a, a, a despotism versus freedom angle, but not necessarily in a political vein, if that makes sense. Then it was we were doing the right thing, right? The troops were doing the right thing. The way some aspects of that were handled again remove the politics from it um just talk logistics some of it was uh, just flat out wrong and i'm not pinning that necessarily on kbr or any particular contractor it's just the way things went um but it's still it's still heartbreaking to hear these stories about people who are getting sick and they're suffering uh, because they were breathing in all this this crap just uh nasty nasty stuff and those of you who were there, if you were around um, any of the big fobs, you know, once you left, the, if you left the wire, you could be out in town doing your thing and you could still smell it. You know, you just smell And it's not, it wasn't like a, uh, like an outhouse smell. It was like this sweet, pungent, kind of smoky, burnt plastic smell. Like if you're at a, a campfire and you throw a whole bunch of styrofoam in there and, you know, you basically take all this stuff from the cookout and just dump it in the fire, right? And, you know, you're a half mile away and you can still smell it. It smelled like that all the time. I couldn't imagine being one of the people standing next to that or one of the people tasked with throwing the stuff in, in the pit. Ah, ah, awful. But anyway, this mom who lost her daughter is, uh, you know, finding some redemption by getting the VA to, to step up their game. So good for her. Uh, again, CBS 4... In Minnesota, that story is not on the website yet, but we'll make sure it gets up there. And I don't know if you've heard uh, this week, there was another story that that hit every news outlet. Suicide rates up among younger veterans, according to the VA. Uh, The number of suicides among younger veterans has increased substantially, according to a report released Wednesday by the Department of Veterans Affairs. The latest statistics show that, you ready for this, 45 of every 100,000 veterans ages 18 to 34 committed suicide in 2016, up from around 40 a year earlier. 45 out of every 100,000 between 18 and 34. Uh, The VA found that there were more than 6,000 veteran suicides each year from 2008 to 2016, veterans accounted for 14% of all suicides in the U.S. in 16, 
yet veterans comprise just 8% of the population, according to the report. In the report, the VA described veteran suicide as an urgent crisis that it can't address by itself. Still, some advocates say the department has not devoted enough resources to this issue. And on the heels of that report, um, earlier this week, the inspector general released a report after a veteran killed himself less than 24 hours after his departure from a VA facility in Minnesota. The report accused the facility of not providing follow-up care for the vet who was taken into the hospital over suicidal ideation. Now that now that guy, as I recall, because it's not in this story, as I recall, he actually killed himself in February. But the report, the IG report on what happened, sort of the after action, uh, just came out this week. And it basically said a lot of people at the hospital screwed up. I mean, this guy went into the hospital. He did this proactively. He went to them and said, I need help. Um, I'm having really weird thoughts. I'm having suicidal thoughts. I also have access to firearms. What are the treatment options? He went. He he ran down uh, what is the ideal path, right, with, with going through the list and saying, I need help. Help me. And they basically f- said, well, in essence, and I'm summoned, these are my words, in essence, it's not serious enough. Right? And they, they said, there's the door, basically. Come back when it's real. I, I mean, not, not and I'm, again, these are my words. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. But they basically said his, his problem wasn't that big, and uh, he should come back when it's when it's a little more grave. And 24 hours later, he shot himself. So, uh, but that that IG report came out this week as well. Look, here's and uh, oh, I, the VA's confidential veterans crisis line is open 24/7 for vets and those concerned about them. The telephone number is 800-273-8255. Five, five. Again, that's the Veterans Crisis Line, 800-273-8255. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you call that number and they jerk you around, I mean, look, 99.9% of the people at the VA do want to help. But if you get that 0.1%, right, reach out to us. Uh, reach out to any veterans group you know out there. It doesn't matter who the group is. Call Wounded Warriors. Call Fisher House. Call, uh, you know, uh, whoever. Call your local American Legion, right? Reach out to a veterans group, tell them what's going on, and say, put me in touch with someone. Now, I'm telling you right now, you can you can call me. My phone number's on the website. My phone number's on the website, and if you send an email or if you, you know, if you want to, like I said before, Twitter, Facebook, you want to DM, do it. I will say I was on a chat the other night on somebody else's uh, show, and I just chimed in on the chat. I got a direct message from somebody. So we went back and forth for about an hour and a half. Not somebody from the show, just somebody else in the chat room. So, um, you know, we are responsive as vets, and we do care, and we have a, we have access to a lot of different resources, right? So if you, you know, if you reach out, you, if you're having weird thoughts, if you're in a bad spot, man, we get it. doesn't matter how old or young you are, male, female, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter where you are either. We get it, right? Reach out. Say something. You know, I'm not. A, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a shrink, but but I sure as heck know a bunch. Right. Sometimes it just helps to know that somebody else is out there. Somebody else who's worn the same boots. Somebody else who has carried the same rifle. Somebody else who has, uh, you know, re, you know, done the same cadence at uh, at 
you know, zero four, right? Sometimes that's all it takes. So, you know, if you're, if you're on the, if you're on the fence, if you're in that bad spot, and I know a lot of us have been there, right? At one time or another, just, you know, use social media, man. If you don't, if you, if you're not a talker, if you're not somebody that does well on the phone, use social media. Cause we'll get you, we'll get you some answers. We'll get you some help. So check this out, uh, Talisker whiskey, Talisker whiskey, which I don't buy because it's too expensive. Uh, they have what, <laughs> they have what's called the Atlantic Challenge, and what that is is teams basically make their way across the Atlantic Ocean uh, in small boats. They do it. I, I don't know how many years they've been doing it, but uh, this year there is a team of vets. Uh, they will be the first all-veteran U.S. military veteran team to try rowing across the Atlantic Ocean. And the name of their team, it's Fight or Die. Fight or, O-A-R, Fight or Die. Um, they say they're doing it uh, to raise awareness about mental health for veterans. So there's four of these guys. They're they're gonna jump in a boat and try rowing their way across. So you can head to their head to their website and show them some love. Um, let me see if I can bring up their website here. No, I can't because I didn't I didn't format this correctly. But uh, <laughs> you can do a search. There's also a there is a story on the VeteransReport.com website. Um, you can link from there and support them. I don't know if they need, I don't know if they need donations still. Cause it's, I think the race starts in December right now. They're still training for it. So, and, uh, what else, what else? VA, my favorite topic, my favorite topic, the VA, uh, veterans affairs selected the veterans integrated service network 20 in the Pacific Northwest for the initial pilot site uh, for the Cerner Electronic Health Record Modernization. The VA will work with DOD to create a single point of authority over the Cerner EHR Modernization Project, according to Robert Wilkie, that's the VA secretary, uh, when he testified at the Senate, quote, State of the VA hearing on Wednesday. Here's my favorite part. So although the interagency program office was designed to govern the previous VA DOD EHR project, Wilkie said he understood the agency lacked the governance power. His response mirrored concerns shared with Congress in mid-September that revealed leadership could not agree upon who was in charge of governing the new EHR. During that hearing, the Government Accountability Office Director of Management Issues, Carl Oh, I'm sorry, Carol Harris, not Carl, testified that both DOD and VA officials have ignored GAOs, the Government Accountability Office's advice, for years on how to empower the interagency program office. And that without change, quote, this is a direct quote, we are going to continue to have dysfunction in moving forward. Now, uh, apart and aside from that being irritating and showing uh, an endemic issue with lack of accountability and lack of leadership uh, throughout the VA for many years. There are billions of dollars they're investing in this, in this 
project. Billions with a B. And the point of this is to make your health record transferable between the VA and the DOD, which is kind of a big deal, right? I mean, you want to be ensured that A, the information is going to be accurate, B, it's going to be timely, C, it's going to be accessible by physicians and specialists, right? Uh, if you have to see a specialist, you have to see a surgeon, an orthopedic surgeon, for example, uh, after they implement this dumb CrossFit for the PFT, uh, then you're going to want to know that your health records are accessible, right? It's also going to help with making claims. Once you go from DOD to uh, the VA system, you want to make a claim. Um, you know, VA is not going to be able to, to say, oh, well, you know, we're kicking back your claim or we're rejecting it because there's no record of it, right? There's no data, right? This was supposed to lump it all into one box. There are billions of dollars at stake and nobody wants to own this. That's that's the gist of the story is no, nobody wants to own the project. So... Uh, to Robert Wilkie's credit, um, you know he has he has designated a central point for the for the program. So hopefully, what this will do is it'll it'll again using the word force, it'll force ownership, it'll force leadership, and and sort of funnel someone into a governing role on this project. You know, it would be it would be terrible. Uh, tragic and criminal to watch something like this just sort of, you know, slip and uh, slip into the shadows because nobody wants to put their name on the documents, which is astounding, right? Everybody wants modernization. Everybody wants high speed stuff, but then nobody wants to own it. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Here, $16 billion is the total between the two agencies. $16 billion. That's insane. I mean, at that point, if you're if you're in one of the top tiers of leadership or management, if you're looking at a sixteen billion dollar investment, um, I mean, why not? Why not just step up and own it? What what's the worst that's going to happen? Right, you lose your job. <laughs> you know, sixteen billion dollars. Good lord, it's a lot of money, folks. That is a lot of money, and that's why we all as vets and, and non-vets, just taxpayers, just taxpayers need to hold the government accountable for this one. This is one project. One. And there's a lot at stake and there's, <laughs> there's a lot of moving pieces and lots of opportunity for error. So, uh, and then there was another story that's on the website. I'm just going to read you the headline, Wounded Veterans Home Vandalized by Teenagers. Check that one out. That'll really lift your spirits. This is why we need to beat teenagers more often, because they have no discipline anymore. So um, <laughs> uh, we're going to jump back to a quick break. We, we're going to get come back with our guest. Uh, so hang in there, and we'll be back shortly. If you want to keep up with the latest in veteran news away from the radio, stop by our website at www.theveteransreport.com. There you'll find news headlines along with links to media outlets around the world. You can also find links to every state's veteran services office. And for you film buffs, there's even a link to a war movie database. We appreciate you stopping by the Facebook page at facebook.com slash theveteransreport. There, like the website, 
you'll find the latest news and information related to veterans. For you high-speed individuals who want to limit yourself to 140 characters, stop by our Twitter account. It's a great way to find information on veteran organizations throughout the country and what they're up to. You can tweet us by using at the Vets Report. If you'd like to email the show directly, please send us your input, comments, or suggestions to editor at theveteransreport.com. Thanks again for checking out our pages. Thanks for listening. And thank you for supporting our veterans community. And we are back. We are back on the Veterans Report. Sorry about that, folks. I was adjusting my headphones. It's been one of those days, fighting PennDOT and fighting headphones and just fighting. So we have with us our guest today, Tom Lucan. Tom, how you doing? Oh, not too bad. So uh, I just want to let everybody know Tom uh, is one of the hosts of an online radio show called The Veterans Show. So it's pretty appropriate that you are on The Veterans Report, Tom. <laughs> yes, thank you. Yeah, the veteran show. Uh, oh, I, that's something I enjoy doing. And you know, of course, our format's a little different from your uh, your all's format. But uh, but yeah, I'm, uh, I guess you could say I'm probably the primary host. Uh, I have uh, gentleman Harold Mason, who's uh, my sec is my co-host, and Levi Miller owns the station as the third co-host. If uh, Harold can't make it, so. And, uh, of course, we tag team. But, uh, yeah, I, it's a fun show to do. So, uh, and, uh, but go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. It's all good. Um, so I, I know that um, at various times you have different types of guests. You have different, you have guests from different, uh, different services, different eras, different topics. But, um, and it's been fascinating to watch, you know, the people that you end up landing for your show. But we wanted to bring you on today, Tom. Um, you have some unique experience and some unique history behind you related to the Korean DMZ. Um, so if you could give us a little bit of background on on sort of your roots there or your, your genealogy with respect to the DMZ. Uh, with the DMZ, uh, my time goes back. Uh, it seemed to be forever. And my I got older friends will tell you, oh, you're still young. But uh, my first tour in Korea... And I was a United States Army soldier, for those that don't know. I was a Cowboy Scout. And for people who don't know, the Cowboy Scouts still exist to this day. Uh, but I was a Cowboy Scout in the Army. Uh, but my first, first uh, time stationed in Korea was with 2nd Infantry Division uh, with 4th Squadron, 7th Cavalry, uh, Alpha Troop to be specific. And, uh, uh, and so... Uh, Korea been like a lot of overseas camps always been over the years and still are. In Korea, I was at Gary Owen at the time, and we have a lot of small camps. And so Gary Owen itself was a camp of probably about not even three to 400 soldiers. At that time, we had headquarters troop and uh, alpha troop at uh, Gary Owen. So mind you, again, uh, with a uh, cavalry unit, we used squadron and troop uh, as they did years ago. So a lot of tradition still carries. But uh, but back to me, on my first tour was 83, 84 when I was over there. So uh, what we did in the cavalry, uh, the infantry in those days, the infantry units would rotate up at the DMZ for 90 days at a time. And so the battalions did. Uh, but around summertime, at least when I've gone, uh, 
as a scout, I usually went up uh, with my scouts out of my out of the squadron there and supplemented the infantry for patrols. Now, we've had other guys, including our warrant officers, I know over the years, would go up and also uh, help out with the radar sites and so forth along the DFD. But in my case, I would go up there and uh, we would run strictly patrols. So, uh, and our patrols, we go up at least 30 days at a time. You'd be one day on, three days, or two days off. So we run day recon uh, patrols and night ambush. And these are live combat patrols. So we run standard L-shape ambush. Uh, usually put out two claymores. You know, we're fully ambled up and so on. And majority of our patrols were actually on the south side of the DMZ. So, because we were, we were out rooting for infiltrators. Uh, but that was my first tour was in 83, 84. Uh, I know that year I kind of missed, with the exception of Reagan coming over and security was tight. So I missed some of the things that went on in the, uh, back in the 80s. Uh, so at that time, like 82, PFC White, uh, who uh, uh, deserted to North Korea, the people forgotten. Kind of hard for me to forget, but uh, PFC White was from the St. Louis area and so am I. But uh, then uh, 84, right after I left in April 84, my first tour, and in uh, uh, November 84, late November, uh, is when a lot of people forgot or don't know about, but uh, a Soviet uh, fighter pilot uh, deserted south through the DMZ to South Korea to the U.S. And uh, a firefight protruded with that at uh, Pamujan. Uh, the Peace Village, and uh, where a couple of North Koreans were killed. So just to give an idea. But uh, but that was my first tour in Korea. Uh, I went back in 87. Again, I was with 47 Cab. Uh, I was up in the DMZ again in 87 and 89. I did three years on that tour. I extended um, and went through several other things. But uh, So then uh, 91, I went back and worked as a contractor, sports simulators, but I had nothing to do with the DMZ which is not totally true either, by the way. So <laughs> I was up there a few times. Uh, I got to go up for repatriation ceremonies in the latter 90s. So, And that's why I said it's not totally true. So, uh, But uh, but that's my part uh, and my, you know, a little bit of some of my experiences, uh, just a quick overview. So uh, where do you want me to go from there, James? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I tell you, and and I appreciate you walking through that. Um, I think it's important for people to know sort of the background. Um, now, you have mentioned, when we talked earlier, uh, you mentioned that there are, and, and you've touched on a couple of them, there are a lot of things, a lot of events that have occurred in the DMZ that, that people don't know happened, that, that aren't, uh, they're not taught, they're not in the history books, they're not, uh, they're not walked through, and, and unless you were one of the people there, you might never know about them. Um, walk me through one, one or two of those occurrences. Well, I'm going to take you through, although I was a little too young to serve at that time, but up in the, the DMZ, let me take, let me step back a little bit on the history. Uh, in July 27, 1953, the armistice was signed to stop the major fighting. And I say that for the relentless that, the war was never and still is, is not over. Uh, it stopped the major fire and the armistice that rules down what can and can't happen, which uh, 
created the military demarcation line inside the DMZ, the demilitarized zone. And so on the armistice states, what can and can't be in the DMZ? And so, but that started the DMZ mission, as we call it, for best serving pre on the DMZ, started back in July 27, 1953. That's officially when the DMZ really started. Um, for, uh, so, uh, but that's going back, and we, uh, uh, let me take a step back. From 1950, 20, oh, God bless, excuse me. From uh, July 2753 up to October 1st, 1991, we still occupied parts of the DMZ. Now, one October 91, we turned our last sector over to the Rock. And since then, 27 years later, the only Americans that serve up in the DMZ itself is at Pamujan, and that's through JSA. It's not a U.S. unit. It's through what they call JSA, Joint Security Area, under the United Nations flag. So just to give a little uh, understanding there to people. Uh, one of the worst periods, I probably the most, I say worst, one of the most active periods of the DMZ was 1966 through 69. And a lot of it was overlooked due to what everybody knows was Vietnam. Uh, in an unofficial capacity, as uh, me and several friends have talked, what happened in 66, the North Koreans, or the communists, started, uh, you know, our belief is they came up to turn uh, Korea into a second front while we were occupied in Vietnam. They tried to string our forces out. And so, uh, so 66 to 69 became a hot period because of that. Uh, there was a lot of infiltrations going on, uh, sab sabotaging, uh, 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 booby traps. Uh, there, I'll give different examples. Uh, I think it was 13 engineers in, uh, in that time period. Uh, they had their barracks blown up south of the DMZ. Uh, a train was blown up. A U.S. Uh, train with U.S. military supplies on a vehicle was blown up uh, very uh, several miles south of the DMZ. Uh, constant ambushes are going on of U.N. and U.S. vehicle. Uh, and just to give an idea, uh, 68 was what they called the Blue House. And what happened there, 30 North Koreans, infiltrated sadly through the U.S. sector and tried to work their way down to Seoul to assassinate the then President Park, who was the president of South Korea. And they were slowly killed on the trail down. In fact, only one was captured. Uh, that's just to give a small bit. And in that time period, and that time period 66 to 69, it's, uh, it's got the unofficial name of uh, the DMZ conflict or the Second Korean War. Uh, and that three-year period was probably the highest casualty rate along the DMZ, you know, KIAs and WIAs. But a lot of that was overshadowed due to Vietnam. And just to speak out on the DMZ, a lot of the time we spent on the DMZ was overshadowed for different events. You know, through the history there, after the, Korean, uh, after the armistice was signed, you know, the Cold War took uh, overshadow because Korea was just looking as a small dot on the map. So the Cold War overrode us. When Vietnam, we pulled out of Vietnam in 73, our ground troops, again, everything was focused mainly back on Germany, on Europe, NATO, and Korea has always been kind of forgotten.
Uh, so, well, I, I was, uh, and I was going to ask why you think. Uh, I mean, in addition to Vietnam, which was periodic, in addition to the Cold War, which was periodic, why do you think, uh, even to this day, most of those stories have not been shared? They haven't been put out there for for public consumption. Yeah, I, I a lot of us wonder why. I mean, it, it, you know, you know, not that I'm a conspiracy theorist, <laughs> but you know, but it's almost like do you know, it seemed to be shunned or hidden for times. I mean, and. And I don't know, you know, a lot of us question why is it always been kept, uh, you know, under the blankets or whatever you want to call it. I mean, I, I don't think nobody knows. You know, I know a friend of mine, a gentleman who's very fluent with Korea second IDs, retired uh, Paul Bull, uh, Mike Devino. You know, I know Mike Devino told some of us a few years back, uh, 1973, after we pulled out of Vietnam, from then on, they didn't. They were not required to report incidents that happened. You know, naturally, incidents were reported, but it was not a requirement, which I don't fully understand it. Huh. You think after Vietnam was done, it'd be more crucial to report them instead of less? Okay. And, well, I, oh. I, I, and I mean, my theory has always been, and, and tell me if I'm off the mark, but my theory has always been since there was no actual truce declared um, that a- any kind of incident might just inflame things a little or is that is that too broad a brush to paint with I it, it could be I mean it just it's kind of weird because anytime there was an incident up in the DMZ whether uh you know they would go to the truce village and you know the uh, the, the south side being the US UN uh, they would make formal complaints at the truce village at the, in a meeting, or the North would make their complaints. It's like uh, I found an article not too long ago. I found it hilarious. It's called the, uh, what was it? I, I would have to look it up, but it's something like the snowball incident. And what happened, it was near Christmas time, and I think this this was had to happen back in the 60s. But the North Koreans complained of U.S. troops throwing snowballs at them. <laughs> I, I, things could be worse. Yeah, and then they were complaining about some big Christmas tree they wanted to tore down, you know, because remember, communists are so-called atheists. And believe it or not, Korea is a, uh, is, is a heavily Christian country, more than people realize. You know, except my wife, she's Buddhist, but <laughs> my wife's <laughs> Korean, by the way, and she's Buddhist. But, uh, but you know, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think... That's and that's why uh, the jump on the next thing that uh, me and uh, my good friend Doug Boss. Now Doug served over in Korea in '68-69. Doug missed Vietnam. He went to Korea in '68-69. Then he turned around and went to Germany till '71. <laughs> he was overseas his whole time, but never in Vietnam. <laughs> but uh, me and Doug have done a lot of. We've uh, the last few years we've gotten together. I've done a lot of different projects to try to expand on the DMZ to hopefully educate people out there of what it's like. And uh, we've gone through, made several videos, and, you know, and it's more or less a big uh, uh, PowerPoint slide, you know, uh, we did slides, you know, whatever you want to call it on YouTube. And, uh, but we, you know, taking pictures and photos we've gotten from other vets or, you know, from other organizations or the National Archives, we sit there put videos together you know, natural music and uh, and covering the different time periods, uh, different things like the barrier fence and so forth, uh, to hopefully help educate people what it's about. 
And uh, and you do occasionally I get messages that people go, I never knew the DMZ was like that. It's like, no. I never knew it was either until my first tour over there. Well, that's that's why I thought it would be such a cool thing to talk about. Because when, when you and I got on the phone the other night, um, some of the stuff you told me, it just melted my brain. I thought, man, people need to know about this stuff. But um, I, I do want to say, I want to take one quick second. Um, we want to acknowledge some of the folks listening. Uh, Everett Richardson um, brought up the, the tree incident in 1976. Um, Brad Shambo says he's a uh, Camp Boniface Panmum John vet. Uh, yep. John, and you, I'm assuming you're familiar with that. John Lanning, uh, 82nd Combat Support Engineers, uh, Camp Mercer, yep. 91 to 92. Um, and where? Oh, and, Army. <laughs> yep. And uh, and John also said John Lanning said uh, he remembered the story about PFC White and he wondered if it was true. So. Yeah, yeah. PFC White. Uh, let me take a step back. The Poplar Tree into happened. What followed after that was called Operation Paul Bunyan. In fact, that's where Camp Boniface gets its name from, as one of the officers. In, uh, in 1976, oh, don't ask me time period. I'm, I'm horrible at keeping exact time. But it was later in 1976, uh, they had, uh, it was what we call the tree, tree chopping incident. But UN troops, and this was under, again, UN uh, auspicious, they went out to cut down a pot. Uh, let me take a step back. I'm sorry. You got the bridge and no return which is a main connection uh, that was used going back to the Korean War. And it was a, basically an open bridge across between North and South Korea and the DMZ. And so, and there's a road that leads up to and off. But what happened, they went, uh, the UN sent in a crew to cut down a poplar tree. It was a big poplar tree that blocked the view of the guard towers, uh, guard uh, posts seeing across and onto the bridge, which was easy to access. I've been on that bridge before, but it's easy access. Well, as uh, Boniface, uh, Captain Boniface and Lieutenant Bear were leading the crew out, they were ambushed by Korean guards, like, uh, I forget how many Korean guards it was, something like 50 of them, I think. And there were several troops out there when it was probably U.S. troops out there were doing this under Captain Boniface and Lieutenant Bear. But they went out to cut this tree down. And so uh, they were attacked by Koreans well, uh, wielding uh, axes and axe handles. And so what happened, Captain Boniface was pretty much killed on the spot. Captain Baird, uh, they uh, was severely injured and crawled away. Uh, if I remember right, he was found in a rice paddy where he died. Uh, several other American troops were injured. And so... Uh, so what happened after the incident was done, all said and done, and so on, they went back later in Operation Paul Bunyan and took out a full crew along with, I believe, it was second engineers who actually cut the tree down. And so, and they were ready this time for the North Koreans. But it was an unprovoked attack uh, that went on. And so, and uh, since then, that bridge of no return has been closed down. It has not been used in 42 years, and it still stands. That's, so that's, that's just to give a brief overview of that. So uh, Camp Boniface in the 80s, oh, God, uh, is that Liberty? Yeah, Camp Liberty Bell. No, not Liberty Bell. Is it Liberty Bell? All right, I, I, I'm horrible with names too, James, so I have a tendency <laughs> to mix them up. I think it was Liberty Bell. But in the mid-80s, no, it was Kitty Hawk. I'm sorry, Camp Kitty Hawk was renamed to Camp Boniface to dedicate it to his, mem you know, memory. 
And so that's when, uh, back in 85, 86, they renamed Kitty Hawk to Camp Boniface. And that's where Camp Boniface came from. Camp Boniface, uh, to this day, is still open. I was there in 2015, and it's an advanced campus, they call it, for the United Nations. It's actually owned by the Rocks now, the Republic of Korea Army. And so uh, PFC White is a true story. It goes back to 82. I was actually, uh, it happened in the fall of 82, seemed like everything always happened in the fall. And, uh, but I know I was down at Fort Knox at the time. And when the incident happened, I remember my dad was a journalist for the St. Louis Globe Democrat, one of the big papers in the St. Louis area at the time. And when the incident happened, I remember my dad sent me articles because naturally that was big news in St. Louis that a St. Louis native deserted. Uh, so, but, uh, a couple of years later after PFC White, uh, deserted, and by the way, I got, and others do too, but I got a copy of the propaganda with PFC White on. You know, so there was propaganda done trying to encourage Americans to come over. And that's another story in itself was propaganda. But PFC White, somewhere uh, in the mid-80s, 85, 86, I forget to be honest, uh, was reported by the North Koreans that he was killed. Now, I've had somebody try to say his body came back. But from what I understand, when he was reported killed, they said he drowned in the wintertime in a lake up there. Hmm. Okay, yeah, right. Somebody's gone swimming in 20-degree weather or colder. Yeah, but uh, his, he was supposedly drowned. He went out swimming in some lake or river, and his body was not recovered. So, and uh, we could all cover it into that if we want. So, uh, but that was PFC White, but it's a true story. Now, the joke was, because he was killed, or because the North Koreans reported him drowned in the river, you got the Imjim gang. The engine river that runs along through the western corridor that we always occupied through those areas and where Pamajan is. We had the engine river that runs near the DMZ there. And the joke was he came floating down from the engine river and he was found, but that's not true. So, but the POC wide is a true story. So, man, you, you have, you're like an encyclopedia of, of stuff that happened over there. That's pretty, that's pretty wild, Tom. Well, I've done a lot of re- natural research, but I've done a lot of research along with Doug, you know, and so, uh, and all this stuff, people can find uh, the articles and that. Uh, we got pages, uh, we got a website besides being on Facebook and uh, uh, Instagram and Twitter, which I'm not as good, I'm not that good with Twitter, but I still post stuff there. But we also have a website. The website is called com, and you can find all that stuff on there. And uh, we got uh, of the DMZ from pictures we found or donated and so forth. We got well over five to six hundred pictures at least of just about the DMZ time period. We got some Korean War stuff. We got propaganda videos and so on. And so, but you can research a lot of that stuff at KoreanDMZVets.com. What's your What's your I mean, I I think it's probably common sense, but what is your goal or what's your motivation with that website? And it's really just to hopefully educate people and get the word out about the DMZ. And me and Doug, uh, a year ago, in fact, uh, it was thanks, or it was right before Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving Day, I started putting this all together. But me and Doug, we talked about, we have a group that Doug started uh, about nine, ten years ago on Facebook. It's called Korean DMZ Vet. And so basically we got, you know, uh, with all the peace talks that are going on, with uh, North and South and a bit with uh, the U.S. in there, 
me and Doug are talking, this is time we really need to heighten about educating people what it's been like and what our fellow veterans had to do and gone through to serve over there. Because Korea, even to this day, you don't hear much about Korea. Uh, you know, there's still troops, like I said, I, I think it's something like 20, 30 troops that still serve up in the uh, Pamukjan. You know, and they still do, they do a lot of the, uh, uh, how do you want to say, uh, you know, showing, not showing off of all, you know, we got old school people and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I know they still do some of the patrolling too, or system patrolling, at least daytime patrolling around Pamajan. It's a real small sector. But, um, but that's our whole goal is trying, is just trying to educate people about it because it's a story that's really unheard of or untold. So, so real quick. Um, I mean, we, we've got a couple yeah. minutes left, but real quick, uh, what what is your opinion of the leadership of North Korea? Do you trust them? Do you think they're going to do the right thing, or is this all sort of a, a ruse? I, uh, you know, uh, it's I I don't know if I say it's a ruse. I don't trust him. No, I mean he's the son of the last two dictators there. Uh, me personally, uh, I've always called North Korea a communist monarchy dictatorship. Think about it. It's been passed down through the family. They claim to be communist, and it's run as a dictatorship. And, you know, passed down through the family like a monarchy. It started with Kim Il-sung with the old man, Kim Jong-il, the first son, now the grandson, Kim uh, Kim uh, Jong-un. And so I was trying to keep away from using this nickname I have for him. Yeah. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, kind of like Trump's, you know, fat boy or something else. I have some other words. Yep. But, uh... But you know, if he, I, you know, I'm hoping he's sincere. I think he's being pressured by the Chinese to a degree. Uh, South Korea, more than people again, realize, I don't think realize. And I've seen this. I said this back in the '90s and seen it. You know, if North Korea unprovokingly would tax South, you would not have support in the Chinese whatsoever. Korea is an economic power and has become an economic power in that region. And they've been fruitful in helping the Chinese grow economically. So, you know, Korea, as I always said, is an asset to the Chinese, South Korea. North Korea is a liability. So I think Kim's being pressured. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure the current president of South Korea, President Moon, you know, is leery of them, but yet is trying to make things happen. Uh, so, you know, and, and it's like President Trump, I'm, uh, to be straight out, I'm not a big fan of his. But one thing I can give Guy credit, he is the first president in 65 years to sit down and talk to uh, a North Korean leader. That's unheard of. So I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's uh, it's hard to say. Do I trust him? No. I don't trust him. But, you know, hopefully he makes me – hopefully I'm wrong in my feelings towards it. Right. You know, I'm – you know, I'm cautious about it. Uh, I know my wife, we don't talk about it, about it or in the family in general. Right. You know, because my sons know their his family history and so on from their mother's side. You know, and uh, so that's my aspect. I mean, like I said, I don't trust him, you know, because his, you know, the, you know, his predecessors were not untrustable. Right. So, I, I, I hope, I hope. Uh, I hope this all turns out to be the right move, but um, as, as you well know, given your history and background, it, it takes years to, to find that out. So, uh, Tom, we got to wrap up here. Um, yeah. Do you want to? Who do you have uh, on tap this week? If you can give me that in fifteen seconds. 
Oh, for the radio show? Yeah. We, uh, uh, I forget her last name. Oh, my God. I have to get her. her first name is Becky. Uh, she's going to be on uh, starting Tuesday night at a, uh, 8 Eastern, 7 Central. Uh, and uh, Becky is a dog trainer uh, for, uh, she supports, she she does work with civilian, but she also works for veterans. But she's a dog trainer support. Uh, you know, I'm lost for Got words it. now. Well, so we'll, we'll pick it up, though. Uh, we'll have everybody grab your show on WLMR. Uh, the veteran show all this week. Thanks so much, Tom Lucan. And we get to talk to you in another week, don't we, Jim? Yes, sir, you do. <laughs> all right, we'll talk well, again, you. Tom. Thanks. And that was Tom Lucan of The Veterans Show, and that does it for this episode of The Veterans Report. Until next time, I'm your host, Jim Cannon. You've been listening to The Veterans Report. Let others know about the show. You can find us online at theveteransreport.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to editor at theveteransreport.com. Join us again at the same time for up-to-date veterans news and information. The Veterans Report. Thank you for your service and carry on. The Veterans Report has been sponsored by James Cannon.